Amos. Amos, and uh, we're up to chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. And this afternoon we want to continue in our study of the book of Amos. Now we've uh, seen in God's judgment uh, in Amos here on surrounding nations in chapters 1 and 2. Uh, then we looked at the judgment of Judah and Israel itself in chapters 2 through 6. And then we come to a third part of this book that is uh, the visions of, uh, for the future of Israel. Now we've been studying about judgment and we're going to look at some visions, but there are still some great principles for us to apply to our lives. I know these are things that seem like, what well, they just apply to Israel? But uh, all of Scripture is given by inspiration. All of Scripture is profitable for our instruction. And uh, so we're going to look here at Amos. As I've noted, probably the most well-known passage in this book uh, would be, can two walk together except they be agreed? And then last Sunday, we looked at the second most well-used text from chapter 6, verse 1, Woe to them that are in ease in Zion. And yet, here we come to chapter 7, I think there's a third uh, passage that is well-used, and it's in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 7, and it's concerning the plumb line. The plumb line. Now, as we have noted, uh, Amos was certainly a, well, somebody might call him a hick. That was a, a top term that used, uh, used to be used. We'll just say it's a country preacher, okay? He was an old time country preacher. But, you know, the Lord used him even as uh, he was not well refined or uh, uh, in fancy in any way of his words, but he used him as a country preacher. And we've seen this especially now. We see here, there is in chapter 7, that I give compassion and courage. Uh, two character tra traits that are on display in the interaction between Amos and God. First, he has an interaction with God that instructively reveals a part of Amos' character for us, and then he has a di different, or a, an interaction with a priest in the nation of Israel. His name was Amaziah. And uh, that gives us a different look at Amos' character. And through these two interactions... I hope we can gain some insight into what kind of heart Amos had and help it will challenge our own hearts and our own walk with God in our efforts to extend the gospel of the kingdom of God to people around us. Notice, first of all, the compassion of Amos. The compassion of Amos. We'll look at this in verses 1 through 9. And the first thing we see are the visions of locusts in verse 1 through 3. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. 
And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. And the Lord repented for this, and he, it shall not be, saith the Lord. The first thing you notice there, it says that the Lord showed unto me. The prophet Amos will relate a vision from the Lord. And by the way, don't uh, ever say, well, the Lord showed me, if you're not going to use the word, okay? Uh, if, if God's going to show you something, it's going to be through His Word. He doesn't reveal you, give you new revelation today. He won't give you a vision or a dream or something say, well, uh, this is what you're supposed to do. If God showed you something, it's going to be through His Word. Okay? But God did show something to Amos. God's Word did come to Amos. Is this something he saw? Something God showed him? He formed grasshopper or locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop, late in the harvest. Amos sees a swarm of locusts coming to devour the crops of Israel. He came, uh, it came after the king's mowing. There would be two crops that would be harvested from the land in that day. The first crop went to the king as taxes. Actually, the people paid more than one-tenth as a tithe. It was estimated they probably paid about three-tenths of what they took from the land. And here we see an example of that. And yet this time, after the king had gotten his taxes, his due, a plague of grasshoppers comes in and uh, took their share so that there's actually nothing left for the people who had really done all the work. Now that's a judgment that would uh, should have shaken the people and should have awakened them. And so at this vision of terrible judgment, here the prophet Amos, his heart is moved with pity and compassion for Israel. And he asked God to consider Israel's frailty. You see that in verse 2. Amos says to the Lord, you know, we've been cut down to size here. Uh, this is so weakening, uh, so we'll not be able to stand. And he calls out to God to forgive them and to help them. And as we notice here, the Lord is patient with Israel in verse 3. So the Lord relents. In response to the prophet's prayer, the Lord relented. It's really, is it really that simple? Well, what if Amos didn't pray? Or if he didn't pray with the same earnestness? Well, we believe the Lord would not have relented. It's another amazing example of how much really rests upon prayer. Now, we can debate endlessly about this incident, reflects on the issues of predestination and human responsibility and all that. And clearly we're left with the impression that the plague either came or was held back based upon the prophet's prayer. Now, you would think that because of its tender mercy, the people would return to the Lord. Guess what? They don't. And so there's not only a vision of locusts, but there's a vision of fire. The Lord called for conflict by fire. After that vision of locusts, now Amos sees a vision of great consuming fire upon the land of Israel. We see this in verses 4 through 6. It says, Thus saith the Lord, showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. 
Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Now, God here, here's the prayer of this old preacher once again. It's obvious that uh, well, there's some that think that this might have been a drought. But we know sometimes that drought and fire go together, don't they? When things get so dry, it starts to burn up. It's obvious in our own country at times. We have different places of the country that are in a drought and then there are also devastating fires. But Amos is clearly, I think, referring to the literal fire here. In response, he does what he did before. He pleads for mercy. And the Lord relented concerning this. As happened with the vision of locusts, God relented the prayer of the prophet. He made, uh, it may be that God sent a rain. I don't know. I don't know how he put the fire out, uh, but he put it out, or he didn't send it. Because of the prayer, God, it says, repented. God was tender-hearted and would not go through with it. And you think about the people who reject Christ and who are lost for all eternity. The fact is, they do, do it against God. God who is tender-hearted, He's gracious, and He's loving. We know this because we're told, God so loved the world. He so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. And so he loves the world, and yet people continue to reject him. So we have the vision of the locust, the vision of the fire, and thirdly, the vision of the plumb line. The plumb line. Verse 7 says, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Now the metaphors that are used here are very forcible. They're kind of homely. They're really kind of simple. But he was taught of God. And some would say, you know, he never went to Bible college. Uh, but God taught him. I mean, in a sense, he was self-taught. But he let this vision, his vision come before us as though he saw it himself, or we saw it himself. What the Lord has done was according to rule. He stood upon a wall, made a plumb line. His past dealings are true, just and true. The Lord continues to use the same infallible rule, whatever he has Wherever he has, he has a plumb line in his hand. Now, the plumb of the lead falls in a straight line. Some of you who have uh, done some a building or some construction have probably used a plumb line. Now, I know there's much more sophisticated instruments to use these days. I thought I was going to have to get a plumb line out the other day. I needed to make something very straight. Well, I didn't have a plumb line, but I did have a straight edge and I had a level. And I put the level on the straight edge. And then I, once I had the bubble in the middle, I, I learned that sometimes. 
Some say Ivan, Ivan because Ivan was in the middle. But anyway, they I put the level on the, the straight edge, and I drew the line, and I hope it's level. It looked level. I didn't eyeball it. Um, that's a dangerous thing to eyeball sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't come out very well. But a phone line is very basic. It's, uh, it's something that's been used in construction uh, for many years. And uh, uh, it is a test as to whether a wall is truly perpendicular. The plumb line shows how if it flows outward, inclines inward. Uh, a plumb line never flatters, but its own certainty of truth reveals and condemns all deviations from uprightness. And that's the way the judgment of God is. And we shall treat the plumb line as an emblem of truth and of right. I want you to notice several things about the use of a plumb line. First of all, it's used in building. I mentioned that already. In all that we build up spiritually, we should act by the sure word of righteousness. In God's building... It is so. He removes old walls when tested by the plumb line, which are found faulty. And truth requires the removal of falsehood. He builds in truth and reality. A sincerity is his essential. He builds in holiness and purity. He builds to perfection according to the rule of right. So in God's building, he builds according to His truth. In our own life building, it should be also that way. We should not build in haste, but truth again should be our object, not according to the eye. Again, I've said it's dangerous to eyeball this, right? Just because you think this is right, or that is right, better test it with the plumb line. Better make sure you have the truth. We should build by the Word of God. In God's sight, for Christ's example, by its spirit, unto holiness, and we should be using the plumb line. It's something we should be doing in building the church, our church as well. Teaching the scripture only in all things. Preaching nothing but the gospel. Laying sinners low by the law, exalting the grace of God, even as we did in our morning message. Leading men to holiness and peace by the doctrines of truth, exercising discipline that the church may be pure. And so the plumb line is used in building, God's building, life building, and church building. Secondly, a plumb line is used for testing. That which is out of the upright is detected by the plumb line so that Men are tested by the truth. We may use it on the wall of self-righteousness or conceit and boasting. We use it on the wall of careless living. We use it on the wall of trust in rituals. We use it on the wall of reliance upon merely hearing the gospel. And we use it on the wall of every outward profession. God wants us to use the plumb line for testing. God uses it in life. He tests the hearts of men. He tries their doings. 
They are often detected in the act of deception, and time also proves them. Trials test them, and he will use it at the last. And we need to use it on ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, are we born again? Are we without faith? Are we without holiness? Or in the work of the Spirit to be seen in us? Plumb line is used for building. It's used for testing. Thirdly, a plumb line is used for destroying. <coughs> Strict justice is the rule of God's dealing on the judgment seat. The same rule will apply to all. Even the saved will be saved justly through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in their case, every sin will be destroyed. Every trace of evil should be removed before they enter heaven. No one will be condemned who does not deserve it. There will be a trial with witnesses and pleadings and an infallible judge. The righteous are saved by sovereignty, but the wicked are condemned by the righteousness alone. Not a pain will be inflicted unjustly. Differences will be made in cases of condemned. There will be strict justice. Rejectors of Christ will find their doom intolerable because they themselves will be unable to deny justice. The lost know their misery will be deserved. Every sentence will be uh, infallible. And so they're going to, there's not going to be any revision. So impartial and just will the verdict be, it'll stand forever. So the question is, are we able to endure the test of the plumb line of perfect truth? Suppose it to be used of God at this very, very moment. How would we measure up? We will not be the wisest to look to Jesus. We may have Him for a foundation to be built on Him. Now we see the plumb line used in a number of places in Scripture. Without looking at all of them, let me just say that every time you have a vision of the plumb line in Scripture, it means God is getting ready to judge. And is that what you do when you use the plumb line? You're judging if things are right. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 27, the prophet of God says to King Belshazzar, Thou art weighed the balances and are found wanting. When God begins to measure, either in length or in width, you can be sure that people have not measured up to God's requirements. And judgment is the thing that he has in mind. Amos does not intercede for the people again. We see that here. He realizes that God's judgment is just. Look at verse 9. And the high places of Isaac will be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. In other words, God says Jeroboam will not have peace. God's principle is there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Jeroboam would not have peace. So we find here the compassion of Amos, the visions and the tests that we see here before us. Secondly, we see the courage of Amos. And between the visions of the last part of Amos, and there is a little kind of historic interlude, very personal experience of the prophet Amos, I want you to notice here. First of all, in verse 10, Amaziah's words against 
Amos, it says, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel went to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. And also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away from the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there, and prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's, it is the king's court. The Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. This was, you can easily see here that uh, he doesn't have much use for Amos. Amaziah was a wicked man because he's identified as a priest of Bethel, which was one of the centers of Israel's idolatrous worship. He had sent a message of Jeroboam, uh, king of Israel, who was a successful king by worldly standards, but he was a wicked king before God. It says, Amos hath conspired against you. Amaziah implicated the prophet in a conspiracy to undermine King Jeroboam and the people of Israel. He also said the message of Amos was too hard. The land is not able to bear his words. Flee to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there prophesy. Amaziah was offended that Amos would come to Bethel and prophesy. So he does his best to send him back to Judah. So here you have Amos, Amaziah coming to Amos, insulting him, in effect calling him an ignoramus. It's interesting, you don't find any books written by Amaziah. Okay? There's not a minor prophet called Amaziah. There is a book called Amos. One book preserved now over 2,500 years that was written by Amos, but none were ever written by Amaziah. Amaziah was calling Amos a country hick and insinuated that it was, uh, he was not fit to speak in the king's chapel. He was saying, We want soft words. We want words spoken here that don't offend anyone. O thou seer, go. Flee thee away into the land of Judah. In other words, get out of town. Get lost. We don't want you around here anymore. You've been speaking in the king's chapel, and after all, you're just not up to it. You're not the caliber of preacher that should be in the pulpit here. Now, though Amaziah was a country boy, without any seminary training, he was no slouch. By any means. He was a great preacher of God. The people knew when they listened to him, they were getting the word of God. So Amaziah's words here against Amos. Then notice in verses 14 and 15 the answer from Amos. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people, Israel. I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. 
Amos replies to Amaziah by noting that, yes, he was a reluctant, unprofessional prophet. He was just a farmer, a herdsman by trade. Amos was hardly the type to launch a conspiracy. But he says, I, the Lord took me, and I, as I followed the flock, as I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, as I was working the job that God had given me to, to work. And like many others in the Bible, God called Amos as he was faithfully performing his present call. It's because Amos was an honorable sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit that God made him an honorable prophet. We also see that God used Amos as a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit without any illusions or illustrations from the world of agriculture. Amos spoke as a farmer and God used it. Every prophet has a manner and style, particularly his own. And although God speaketh through them all, they, yet they lose not their individuality or their originality of character. The breath which causes the music is the same, but no two of the instruments give forth precisely the same sound. It is true they all utter words of God, but each voice has its own special pride, so that though God is preeminently seen, yet the man is not lost, said Charles Boyd. You have Amaziah's words, you have the answer from Amos, and then you have the answer from the Lord. And the answer from the Lord is through Amos, verse 16 and 17. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. This is what Amos is saying. Hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not in Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city of thy sons, and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Your wife will be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. This was God's word to Amaziah. And it came through the prophet Amos. It's the calamity he wanted uh, to silence Amos about. But it was going to come upon him. Israel would surely be led away. It's exactly what Amaziah was caused, accusing Amos of saying was a part of his conspiracy. Amos is bold enough to speak for the Lord. And he tells Amaziah and everyone else in Israel's, uh, Israel about the impending captivity and, and it's going to be, it's going to take place, he said. It's a difficult world, a word. And sometimes the message is difficult. But when it comes from God, it's the right message. And Amos was faithful Deliver. Listen, if preachers fail to give out the Word of God, there is no reason for us to point our fingers at the politicians in Washington and accuse them of failing our country and jeopardizing our nation. Do we measure up to God's plumbing? By the grace of God, I trust I can continue to give you God's Word. We must realize that God's word is truth, 
And sometimes the truth hurts. I know it speaks to me. And I have to be chastened by it. And that chastening is not always pleasant. But let us be faithful to God's word, to read it, to receive it, and take heed to it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for 